Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Samuel 6, 1 through 5, 12 through 19. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Bahale Judah to bring him from the ark to bring up from the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart. 
and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadadam to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. Come along. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All through the night, I'm gonna let it shine. All through the night, I'm gonna let it shine. All through the night, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All right.
Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I I think many of you know that before coming to Epworth, I led a, a national peace and justice organization. It was, it was founded on the eve of World War I by Quakers, Mennonites, other pacifists and peace advocates, including many Methodists. And when I arrived on the scene almost 100 years after its founding, the membership and the leadership of the local chapters were still populated by persons connected to those groups. But there was another very strong constituency that I hadn't expected. Can you guess what it is? Well, if you guessed veterans, you were right. You were right. What I learned from these veterans who were involved in this National Peace and Justice Organization is that not only were they experts in the realities of going to war and fighting a war, but they were experts on the costs to soldiers, to families and communities once the war is over or once the deployed person has come home. One veteran who served on our national board told me, I spent three years in Vietnam, but the hardest fight I had was when I returned home. He then devoted the rest of his life to restorative justice in the public schools in upstate New York and leadership in his own chapter of Veterans for Peace. We are all emerging from a collective crisis. Though it has not been a war on the magnitude, uh, on the scale of magnitude of World War I or the Vietnam War, it has been consuming, it has been traumatic, and it has been disruptive on a global and very personal level. And I should add, this period has not been free of U.S. military conflicts, too, and members of our own congregation have been deployed during this time. What we know about war and disasters and other consuming traumatic crises is that somehow, while the crisis is going on, people find the wherewithal to keep going, to hold it together, to just keep taking the next right step. But as the crisis comes to an end, all that could not be dealt with in order to survive, grief, fear, loss, confusion, raises its hand and says, don't forget about me. And unprocessed emotions seek space to surface and, and demand our attention. The crisis itself is a time of great concern, of course, we know that. But the emergence from the crisis is also a time of great concern and of great vulnerability. Last week we talked about how important it is to be careful about our expectations as we 
emerge. How necessary it, it is to recognize that we have changed and that we can navigate the newness that we find by staying focused on what supports God's purpose. Today, I want to talk about this vulnerable moment of processing emotions, of feeling exposed, and the importance of attending to our own truth and identity as people of God in this moment. In our scripture for, to, for today from 2 Samuel, which you heard Melanie read, King David is returning the Ark of the Covenant to the people of Israel. Now, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to overstate the value and importance of the Ark of the Covenant to the people of Israel. This Ark, not to be confused with Noah's Ark, that's a different Ark, this Ark is a, is a mobile box about, about this, this wide and about this high. It contained the tablets on which God wrote the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses uh, for the people during the time of Exodus. It was also said to contain the rod of Moses' brother Aaron. Now you remember this rod, this is the rod that when Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh demanding the liberation of the Israelites, this is the rod that when hit struck upon the ground, the plagues came forth and put Pharaoh on notice that the people would not stand for this enslavement. This rod was said to be contained in the ark. And a golden pot of manna was said to be in the ark, that sustenance that flowed from God to the people in their desperate state while they wandered in the wilderness. These were symbols of God's presence and power, the will of God's people for freedom and the care of God in responding to and attending to the people's needs. The ark represents God's covenant with God's people and the commitment of the people to follow God's purpose above all else. With their focus on God's commandments, the Israelites moved forward as a people. Even though they encountered war and other disasters, when they maintained clarity about who and whose they were, their sense of meaning and purpose and identity was intact. The ark represented God's presence with them. They cherished it, protected it, and kept it with them always. With their sense of purpose and meaning and identity intact, the Israelites had survived and grown as a people. But it was also during this time that the faith and life supported by the ark began to be confused with the ark itself. When the Israelites prevailed, it was seen as God's favor rather than the result of their way of being, their attentiveness, their faithfulness. The other nations didn't understand that the ark was about a sense of connection and a set of ethics and commitments that allowed the Israelites to survive. And it seems that the Israelites started to get confused about that too. The ark had 
come to be seen in the ancient world as a kind of talisman that ensured military victory to those who possessed it. Decades before David came to power, and decades before the moment that we have in our scripture for today, in an attempt to assure a military victory, the Israelites carried the ark into battle. Now, this was a new thing. They had kept the ark safe. They hadn't done that, but they decided that they needed a victory, so they carried it in, and what happened? They lost. The high priest Eli's sons were killed, and the ark was captured by the Philistines. At the moment of hearing that her sons had died, Eli's wife died while giving birth to another child. The child born at that moment was named Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? Where is the glory? One reason why the emergence from war or disaster or crisis is so tenuous is that we might imagine it will be a time of glory. Glory in returning to normal. Glory at having conquered. Glory at having made it through. But many report that glory is never a word that describes this time of emergence. Our young people especially tell us that one of the worst things we can say to them, especially in this moment, is these are the best years of your life. They hear this and they wonder, have I just lost a year and a half of the best years of my life? Our young people, particularly now, are deep in processing their own emotions, deep in dealing with change and grief. They are grappling with uncharted social territory in a world that seems like it's spinning out of control. As Eli's wife utters, where is the glory? We see that glory is a word connected to the lens of nostalgia. And nostalgia, as we know, is always distorted. The capturing of the ark engendered a major social political, and religious crisis among the people of Israel. If the ark was not among them, was God among them? But they persevered through this great loss. They maintained themselves as a people. They acknowledged Samuel as, a, as the prophet who followed Eli, which was then followed by the period of the kings. The first king, Saul, accomplished the amazing feat of even unifying all of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Israelites pulled themselves together and soldiered on. Well, in our scripture today, the ark, after decades away from the Israelite people, is being returned. King David has followed King Saul and has made it a priority to end this long period of the ark's exile. Through battle, the ark is recaptured. The decades-long crisis, the fear of the absence of God is over, right? The ark is returning. David and his men form a long procession to bring the ark back among the people marking the end of this long and difficult period. 
And the scripture tells us David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When we see some of the photos of the celebrations happening around our region and state and country, as things open up, what's described in the scripture has a familiar ring. For some of us, dancing with abandon is a way of letting go of grief. It is a way to process loss. Anyone who lived in San Francisco in the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s can attest that it was not uncommon for losses and grief to be processed on the dance floor. But there is something else, something else in the scripture, something we need to take care not to overlook. Not everyone is responding to the return of the ark, this, the end of this period where it felt like God was absent in the way that David is. Not everyone is wanting to dance. The scripture says, as the ark was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Well, there are multiple interpretations and theories for why Michal despised David in her heart at that moment. What I submit to you today is that Michal was not sure how to welcome the end of this period of trauma. She had ambivalence about jumping into a new chapter, and she definitely didn't want to dance. David's exuberant dancing made her feel fearful, heightened her anxiety, and she despised him in her heart. The scripture tells us that David was wearing a linen ephod, which was a, a kind of scant priestly garment. And some interpreters ha have said, have suggested that Michal was angry with David because he was naked. If they thought that this was a metaphor for nakedness, they say that her objection was that he was exposed. But I don't think it was a literal exposure of David's body that was the problem. In fact, most scholarship tells us that this garment wouldn't have left David indecently dressed. Maybe the reason Michal reacted so strongly against David's dancing and the return of the ark was because she was afraid and feeling exposed herself. I submit to you this morning that it was Michal's feeling of exposure that was the issue and that caused her to despise and hate David in that moment. Would she be expected to go out of her home and dance with abandon too? Who are you in the story? Where do you see yourself in this scripture? Are you ready to process your feelings on the dance floor? Or does the idea of going out fill you with dread at being exposed? What we need to remember about these two ends of the spectrum is that emotions can be processed by spending time alone or with a caring friend or in spiritual accompaniment like we have available through our Stephen Ministry program, just as 
Emotions can be processed physically. People are different, and people have different methods and, and ways to get from the pain of loss to the peace and acceptance in a new chapter. And in fact, most of us need a variety of methods. And we also need to remember that it's possible to continue to stuff the unpleasant feelings and to not deal with them either on the dance floor or while remaining at home or in small groupings. So while we're tending to our own grief, let's tend to each other too. Let's be gentle with our different ways of coming out of this. And let's be attentive to our own privilege and power that can make us miss what others are going for and going through. I wonder if King David even realized that he was being watched by someone in a window, someone who was very much in pain. Oh, and did I mention Michelle was David's wife? Sometimes the biggest misses are the needs of those closest to us. And yet God calls us forward. The meaning of the return of the ark is that we, as the people of God, should make no mistake. God is in our midst. God is present with us and will not pass us by. God will accompany us in the dance or in the midst of our messy, despising, fearful feelings. But God always calls us to God's self, into wholeness and into healing. God loves us and God guides us. Periods of trauma and crisis and war do come to an end. As God's people, may we reflect that presence of the one who knew us first and calls us home. And may we offer this presence to ourselves, to each other, and to the world. Amen. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when you need a friend. And friends just can't be found like a I will lay me down like a bridge over troubled water. I will lay me down. When you're down and out When you're on the street When the evening falls 
so hard I will comfort you I'll take your part Oh, when things get rough And pain is all around Like a bridge over troubled water I will lay me down Like a bridge over troubled water podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree. In cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be three. In the cold and soul of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can a song in every silence seeking word and melody there's a dawn in every darkness bringing hope to you and me from the past will come the future what it holds a mystery unrevealed until its season
beginning, in our time infinity, in our doubt there is believing, in our life eternity, in our death a resurrection, at the last a victory, unrevealed until it's easy, something God alone.